We're discussing supply chain innovation and transformation and sustainability with John Chorley of Oracle and Tony Nash of Complete Intelligence. John, tell us about your role at Oracle. Well, I run the supply chain management strategy group at Oracle, responsible for our overall investment priorities and directions for our supply chain solutions. I also have the chief sustainability officer role at Oracle, where I help coordinate all of our sustainability policies and practices for the Oracle Corporation and help drive some of those ideas and thoughts into the products and services we deliver to the market. And Tony Nash, tell us about the focus of your work. Complete intelligence, we're a globally integrated and fully automated artificial intelligence platform for cost and revenue planning. So we do forecasting for enterprises and for markets for things like continuous cost budgeting, continuous revenue budgeting, automation of certain, say, forecasting tasks. We measure our error rates. So that's really important as someone's planning, especially around supply chain. So we're trying to help people reduce the risks around their future costs. Supply chains are very complex, time, cost, quality, all sorts of considerations. So our focus really is on the cost element of it. And there's a lot of other things and why we're working with Oracle. They have so many other things to bring to the table that we really try to complement them on that side. And you met John through the Oracle Startup Program. Just briefly, tell us about that. Oracle for Startups Program is a it's a fantastic way for early stage companies to integrate with the Oracle ecosystem. So there's the Oracle technology product side of it, but there's also the side of meeting people like John and meeting people like his colleagues and you know the Oracle marketing team and Salesforce and product teams. Really amazing opportunities to understand how an organization like Oracle works and how a company like Complete Intelligence can really come alongside them and really enhance Oracle's end customer experience for the better. John, during the last year, supply chain became a household topic for pretty much everyone. What did the last year tell us about the nature and the reality of supply chains? Well, that they're central to everything that makes the modern world, really. I mean, I think that when you see an empty shelf and then you realize that the reason it's empty is because of some issue with supply chain, or you see some run on a product or some shortage or some some challenge in some way, uh, people now understand that the complicated infrastructure that brings those products to them is really uh, the, the supply chain. And, and obviously, as we've gotten into the more recent months where we're looking at the distribution of the vaccine, people understand that, yes, it's a technical problem to produce the vaccine, but it's also a supply chain problem to get it in people's arms. Uh, So all of those things, I think, have helped take the supply chain from the back office, from the folks like Tony and I who work in it day to day, uh, into into the boardroom, uh, which I think is very important, but also into, into into the dining room. Uh, people really now understand the importance and uh, centrality to efficient supply chains. John, so give us some insight into the kinds of weaknesses that this last year exposed in in how we handle supply chains. Well, I think the couple of areas there that I'd point out. One is obviously we had a very 
uncharacteristic demand shock. So um, there was a real change in short-term demand. Some of that was upside. A lot of of charcoals sold to power the grill. Um, A lot of of toilet paper. Uh, Some of it was obviously downside. Restaurants challenged, uh, hospitality and so on. Um, so those demand shocks um, force people to look at different ways to look at their traditional forecasts. So that is, you know, supportable by the kind of technology Tony and I can help deliver. But but it does require people to look carefully at how they're forecasting their demand. Uh, so that that's definitely one angle. Another angle I would say is the overall uh, concern about resiliency. Um, a lot of folks had looked at ways of single sourcing, for example, maybe uh, relying on uh, goods out of Western China, for example. Uh, All of those things had uh, a lot of challenges, and that forced people to look at was a single sourcing strategy um, driven by cost only um, the right answer, or did they need to look at, uh, A, maybe simplifying their product lines a little bit so they had more flexibility, and looking at alternate sources of supply. So I think resiliency uh, came a lot more to the fore. We've had even companies like semiconductor companies who've been based in Asia start to build uh, facilities in the U.S. so that they can regionalize some of those supply chains and de-risk the downturn impacts of future shocks like this. So um, electronics manufacturers, other people who are assembling goods or even, even some primary goods are regionalizing uh, their uh, their supply chains so that they don't see huge impacts for any sort of future issues like COVID or other shocks. So there's at least a little bit of a buffer by region, which obviously saves, you know, it's greener in terms of, you know, saving on the sea freight fuel, that sort of thing. But it's also helps uh, cushion any shocks on the supply side. So consumers can get what they need when they need it. John, I've heard you talk in the past about the inherent challenge of manufacturing goods overseas in China, for example, and the timeliness of getting them here in the U.S. It obviously has a lot of advantages in terms of you know cost, scale, and so on, but it does bake into your supply chain a certain fixed amount of time uh, and that you know is fine if you have predictable demand, but if you have variable demand, it becomes a lot more tricky to manage. Mm-hmm. The same is true really of the innovation cycles. The speed with which you may want to innovate um, can be con- constrained by you know uh, working those things um, from you know from from uh, points of consumption, let's say Europe, North America, and points of production, let's say um, let's say the East, China, uh, Vietnam, and so on. So those um, those are factors uh, folks uh, are considering. And I think in some areas, um, certainly advances in things like automation um, and um, you know, technologies like 3D printing, rapid prototyping, those things are, are changing the equation a little bit in terms of what constitutes the most cost-effective or the most efficient or the most responsive uh, approach to manufacturing. And I think you're going to see, you know, those factors gradually have more and more of a play uh, as people uh, develop new ways to balance those equations. Michael, that's really interesting because as we look at how the history of supply chains have evolved from, 
you know, keeping, say, POs on three by five note cards 30 years ago to the digitization of that. It, it really started with EDI, electronic data interchange from, say, the, sh- the ocean lines and the air, air freight firms so that you knew where your package was all the way down to today where you have everything kept, let's say, in a bill of material within an ERP system or a supply chain system. And what people have been doing, say, for the past few years is is really bill of material versioning, where you're running scenarios on the same, say, product configuration or bill of material for multiple locations to understand where they should make a certain good, right? And so those considerations are allowing people flexibility they can make the time and cost trade-offs to look at when they can have goods in a market, whether it's seasonality or whether it's some sort of disruption or whether it's some sort of, say, demand pop for some reason people may not know, right? Um, But allowing people to run multiple bills of material or versions of bills of material um, allows them the flexibility to identify what they should produce where and what it should be made of. Sounds like this is a data and analytics problem. It is. And the way things have been done typically is as a manufacturer, you sign a a longer term agreement for your raw materials with a vendor. They provide that for you to a certain point. You make it in factory A in somewhere and then ship it out. Of course, there's not necessarily a single factory for any any large company, but it's a a well-worn path. But we've had kind of a a atomization, I guess, of that with mini manufacturer, regional manufacturing, really flexible manufacturing, so that people can have localized versions, or like I said, seasonality, these sorts of things. You can only make those types of decisions with data and with automation. So you need clarity around the goals and the strategy. You need the right kinds of data. And then you need the cultural willingness to innovate and do things differently. Is that an accurate way of summarizing? I definitely agree. I think, you know, you need you need to know you need to have some idea of where you're going, although that probably is going to change, but you need to have, have that idea. You need to have the information as uh, Tony's discussed that helps you, you know, navigate that path. And then you need to be able to course correct uh, because, you know, we live in the real world and nothing quite goes the way you expect it to. And so you need to be able to constantly course correct. Uh, like I say, you know, you, you have a great set of headlights. You can see what's coming. You're coming to a cliff. If you have no brakes and no steering wheel, it, it's a huge problem. You'd rather not know. Uh, so the, the ability to course correct is like having brakes and a steering wheel. You need to be able to make those adjustments uh, as things change around you. Um, and that means, you know, flexible systems, flexible processes, uh, you know, willingness to look at new ways of doing things, cultural changes, uh, all of those things become important. Tony, I have to imagine you spend a lot of time thinking about the sources of data as well as the machine learning models and other types of models that you create. I get excited about things like data governance, but most people don't. Um, but I get excited about it because I understand that it helps have to have much better tools to make those decisions. And so, yes, we're thinking about um, the granularity, the frequency, the level of detail people have. And are they, in fact, using the data that they have to make decisions today? Because it's not just, let's say, a cultural change of, 
let's rely on automation of things like forward-looking views or forecasting or planning. Let, it could be also be a cultural change of, are we looking at our own data to make our decisions? How much of our own data are we looking at? Are we looking at you know, maybe the error rates of the way we plan? Are we you know, looking back on that from time to time? Although that may seem really mundane and really small, it's actually very big for things like digital transformation because you have to take inventory of what you're doing today so you can plan what where you're going tomorrow. And like John said, it's never going to go exactly to plan, never. I wish it would, but it never does. And so you have to really understand yourself well today so that you can identify what's possible. John, we've been talking about the complexities of supply chain. Let's shift gears slightly and talk about the complexities of sustainability and how does sustainability intersect supply chain? Most people would agree that you know supply chains are about making and moving physical goods around the world. And, and that obviously is a huge part of um, uh, you know what's what's impacting the environment, and it's a huge impact on sustainability. And the way we design those supply chains uh, historically has been what I would call a linear supply chain, which is we make a product, we sell a product, we forget the product, we then make another product, sell that product, and forget that product. It's a fire and forget mentality, if you like, to some degree. Obviously, you know, if we want to be sustainable, we need to think about the full life cycle of those products and and how they get recycled back into into the forward supply chain. So, you know, I think as we progress into the future and we start thinking about these things more and, and, you know, we're required to by the market, by, you know, regulations potentially and by, you know, what constitutes good business, um, we will increasingly move towards adjusting our supply chains to be what, what we call more circular. That is looking at the full life cycle of the product. That begins with how you design it, but that's going to be a fundamental change in the way we think about uh, all supply chains. As we finish up, Tony, can you offer advice to business leaders who are listening to this who say, yes, we want to change, transform our supply chain, but it's, where do we even begin? It's such a daunting challenge. I would say really start with the easy stuff, get some successes, um, do a pilot, you know, and then you can accelerate it very quickly. Data scales very quickly. The technology scales very quickly, but your team may be uncomfortable with digital transformation, especially around supply chains. So help them see some quick wins and then just, just you know, push forward as quickly as possible after that. John, you discussed earlier the cultural dimensions of supply chain transformation. It's really important. So just share some further thoughts on that and, and advice that you have for folks who are listening. I think any any change is, is at least as much cultural as it is technological. Um, and the people who implement those changes um, are key to its success. And I think part of, p- part of what's needed is a willingness to understand that, you know, the way you did things in the past may not be the way you need to do things in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, quite often, companies, for example, feel that they have a certain special way of 
doing a process and, and that, that's absolutely required. And they hold on to that, even though there is really no business differentiation for them to do it that way. And they'll invest a lot of time and energy to duplicate that on a new platform. Uh, and, you know, we always encourage people to step back a little bit uh, and leave behind some of those preconceptions. Not everything is your secret source. Your secret source is a little bit on the top. It's not stuff on the bottom. Uh, so, um, you know, leave behind those preconceptions. Uh, I think that's, um, you know, probably the single biggest cultural shift. And then the other point we mentioned earlier is board support. Uh, I think that's, you know, top down is and having that sort of support from the, the upper levels of the business is critical to any large scale transformation. And uh, I think the great thing, if there is a great thing from 2020, is that um, boards are aware now of the criticality of supply chains in their business and are probably more open to those kind of conversations, those difficult conversations uh, from supply chain professionals with their board. So now's the time. The folks that make the investments now are the folks that are going to benefit from the uptick that we all hope is coming. John Chorley and Tony Nash, thank you both for sharing your expertise with us today. All right. Thank you so much. Great talking with you all.